0: What's going on, everyone? Hope you're doing well. Hope you're enjoying the day. Here we are. Last book of James, James chapter 5. Uh, don't know how long uh, we're going to spend on this one. Uh, my notes aren't as extensive as in other chapters, but who knows? We, we may, uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit, just end up having a, a really great dive into this chapter. Um, I really like the book of James. Probably expressed that to you throughout this time. And I want to thank you so much for listening, for, for learning alongside. Uh, it's really been a, a joy and a pleasure for me, too. And we're going to keep the party going uh, with the next uh, book of the Bible. We're going to look at another book of mine that I really enjoy. I figure recording these in the summer, I want to stick with books that, you know, have really brought me a lot of joy and happiness. So I'm going to uh, go to the book of Philippians um, after this. And, and looking at uh, James uh, chapter five, seeing uh, some of the notes that, that I want to go over with you is first looking at the ways in which James as an overall book points us to really examine the difference between abundance and excess, right? And what I want to understand or, or rather communicate and help us all understand is that excess are those things you just have and you're not even using it. Right, it just is going to waste. Almost picture like a child at a buffet who who isn't listening to the good counsel of uh, their parents and just is filling up their plate with foods that don't even go together, right? <laughs> and they got the foods are to just touching it, and it's just it becomes like a soupy mess. And rather than just have listened to their parent who said like, "Hey, you should get you know uh, this kind of food this time and then and the next uh, round get these kind of sides and then you know kind of have like a a, a process to it." This kid just wanted to put it all, pile it up on the plate. It's like spilling over. It's making a mess. The kid's sick now because they ate foods that don't go together. That to me is excess. But abundance is when you have a lot, but it's not just for you. It's not just a sense of like, look at how much I have. But it's flowing, right? So if you understand it, thank you, Holy Spirit. This other understanding of it is like if you have a body of water that's still, there's no life there, it's just collecting bacteria, nothing's flowing, that to me is excess. It could be a lot of water, but it's not moving, it's still water. Versus to me, abundance is flowing, right? So yes, it's not the same drop of water that has always been there, it's passing through, right? So in the same way that when we are blessed with abundance, it's not just for us to have and to hoard, but it's so much that we couldn't possibly keep it for ourselves. So in essence we become a blessing to those around us right so when water is flowing it ain't just like you're piling up water piling up water piling up water it's that it's flowing so that folks over there folks over there everyone's able to benefit from it right and no one's gonna damn it and just keep it for themselves it's about allowing it to flow and I think that the book of James particularly in this chapter really points us to understanding the difference and necessity of having abundance instead of having excess I love, um, as you may know from uh, previous sessions, looking at the ways in which the Message Bible and Eugene Peterson is interpreting the text for this. Uh, looking at uh, one quote he has is take some lessons in lament and thinking about how that applies as a message to the rich, to the rich rather. I, I think so often, and not just um, this isn't just a socioeconomic issue. I do think it's a geopolitical issue in terms of those of us who live. In industrialized nations, those of us who live in the United States, those of us who live within the confines and are able to enjoy the exploits of empire. That so often we, ha- we suffer from what I believe is main character syndrome. We think we are the star of the story at all times. And what does it mean for us to just say, oh my goodness, not only am I not the star of the story, but me thinking I'm the star of the story has caused, has caused harm to other people, right? It's not just a matter of like, oh, this kind of narcissism or this kind of inflated understanding of myself lives within a bubble. No, it spilled, it bled, and it caused the bleeding. So how does that lend itself to how we view ourselves now, having sort of been interrupted and arrested in that? I would hope that it would cause a deep sense of repentance. and will cause a sense of lament I really love um, the biblical concept of lament because it allows us to not just say, oh, okay. But you have to sit in the emotion sometimes. And I know that there is, once again, we're in a, a culture of excess where people can even turn something like lament into a look at me sort of situation. But what does it really mean for us to say, okay, I understand that I'm complicit. I understand that. The things I enjoy from exploitation means that someone else had this taken from them, right? That this isn't the same as abundance, where it's just blessing others. It's being taken from one and given to the other as excess. What does it mean to sit with that? Before you sort of jump in and now try to save people and act as if, pardon me, the pathology is on them. There's something wrong with them because they're poor. What does it mean to sit and say, my goodness? I am a part of the problem. I need to do that sort of inward soul work. I need to give this to God so that I'm no longer just willfully ignorant. I'm no longer just enjoying the fruits of exploitation without any sort of deeper thinking about it. And I love this whole notion in James 5 that as you're piling up your excess, you're piling up all these things that you're thinking of as riches. It's really piling up judgment. right? That we feel so willfully ignorant to the things we enjoy. The things that were made in sweatshops. The things that were made with materials that were exploited from the continent of Africa. right? The things that we enjoy that were exploited from the Amazon rainforest. The very creation itself that we abuse because of theologies of dominion rather than stewardship. All these ways in which we feel like we got it going on. We got the latest this and the latest that, and we don't realize that what we're actually piling up, piling up rather, is judgment. And part of it is really training ourselves and allowing ourselves to engage with an understanding that the excess, not the abundance, but the excess, is a stench. So similar to that plate you know, that you got from the buffet that's just piled up with all sorts of food that don't go together, piling up the exploits of empire. It's an offensive thing, right? Not just offensive, okay, like, you hurt my feelings. I mean like literally it stinks, right? Because we see how unfulfilling it ultimately is. That you never see people who are engaging in the exploits of empire say enough. Just more and more exploitation, more and more domination, more and more uh, stealing, frankly, from, from others. And it's important for us to understand that this exploitation, this taking, 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 right? This enjoying the fruits of empire brings us directly into conflict with Jehovah Sabaoth, right? Now, this understanding, this name of God, right? Literally... The Lord of hosts, as it's often translated when we look at the Old Testament, is this understanding of a God who defends, a God who speaks up on behalf. And if you really pay attention to scripture, we know that the God we're talking about is a God who defends the poor, a God who's often found in the margins, like has a preferential uh, stance toward the margins. So if we're so invested in exploitation, we're so invested in being willfully ignorant of the ways in which we're taking advantage of other people, how can we then claim that we're doing all of that in the name of God? How can we act as if the things we're enjoying that we don't really, that we didn't gain through honest means, we didn't gain in good faith? Like you might say, oh, I just... Pay for this, but we're not thinking about the ways in which we contribute to a system that necessitates exploitation. If we're never doing that sort of investigation, that sort of dreaming, that sort of prophetic work that says there can be another way. That we don't just have to exploit people, we don't just have to take advantage of people. And I think this is really a, 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 a pressing question to explore, a worthy inquiry in a time where you see so many different groups, whether they're in contract disputes, whether they're going on strike, or they're thinking about going on strike. There's so many different like labor unions that are having this conversation, so many people that are having this conversation of when am I going to not be exploited anymore? That enough is enough. There's so, it, it's happening all over the world, but just localizing it, because I know the world is a big place. Localizing it just to our experience, whether it's within the United States or within your 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 country. Think about the ways in which those who are being exploited they're, they're, they're fed up. Think about the ways in which those who exploit are so deeply dissatisfied. It's important, it's imperative that we consider the ways in which oppression is not a one-way street. It cuts both ways. The oppressor and the oppressed are both in bondage. No one's liberated when we exploit. No one's liberated when we dominate one another. It doesn't help anybody. So we really have to get to this point of understanding that we are unmaking ourselves when we desire excess more than abundance. Now, how do we understand the difference between excess and abundance? Abundance does not require exploitation. There's no myth of scarcity that says, I have to have all of it, and you get a few crumbs. There's none of that. There's enough. And we know that this is a godly thing because God is enough. This is the God who talks about providing you exceedingly and abundantly above all you can ask a thing. This is the God who talks about coming that you may have life, and life more abundantly. So we know that God is not about this myth of scarcity. We know that God is not about this exploitation. We know that God doesn't require us to dominate anything but to be good stewards of everything within our, our sphere. So what does it mean for us to no longer depend on exploitation? What does it mean for us to no longer depend on, well, I got to get mine. I got to hustle. You already know what it is, blah, 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 all that kind of energy. What does it mean to no longer depend on that, but to wait on the master? Wait on the one who is able to supply all of your needs according to their riches and glory. What does it mean to no longer say, I have to take from you in order to enjoy? In order to live in this nice neighborhood, that means you have to have a bad neighborhood. In order for me to have clean water, you have to have dirty water. In order for me to have a good school, you have to have a bad school. What does it mean? For me to say, you know what, my job at the penitentiary is not worth you being incarcerated. What does that mean? For us to really explore the ways in which God can affect us economically. The ways in which we live with each other. If they become divinely inspired instead of fear inspired. Instead of anxiety inspired. Instead of hatred inspired. Scarcity inspired. See, God is detail-oriented and cares deeply. I was just speaking with a friend of mine about when you look at the instructions in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, whether you're talking about creation, you're talking about the instructions for the temple, you're talking about the instructions for uh, you know, the, the priest's clothing, attention to detail no details just like ah whatever you want to do everything within its place then you go to the new testament you hear jesus speak about you know you're worth more than lilies (laughs) you know like that god feeds the sparrows you're you're so much more than sparrows all these different ways of understanding how we're supposed to be with one another This isn't lost in this last chapter in the the book of James. There's an understanding that God cares for you. That we're not supposed to rush God. God sees you. God wants to completely heal you. Now my question for you all is how does that translate to the ways in which we treat one another? How does this translate to those To our interactions with those who are saying, like, I've been hurt by too many people who said that they love God. There's so much in this. When we see the folks who claim to be representing God doing the harm, right? James isn't speaking to an audience of people who weren't aware of God, right? This is an in-house conversation (laughs) that we're privy to. And yet still, we see a deep need to interrupt the harm that was happening. That within that congregation, within that that context, there was a preference for those who have over those who do not have. And this is not the way of Jesus. I'm always drawn to the fact that God could have revealed God's self Anyway, God chose. God could have chosen to be a king born in a palace. Instead, God was born in the ghetto and in a manger in the ghetto. Right? So it's like think of the worst neighborhood in this in your city, and then think of a dog, a dog pound. <laughs> you know, like that's where Jesus was born. That's how God revealed God's self. So how are we supposed to live our lives? Imitating God, wanting to have proximity to those on the margins, and understanding that proximity with anyone, when it's God we're talking about, it improves the situation. God is here to supply our needs. God supplying your need is a testimony. So when you meet somebody who does not have, you don't have to just say, I don't know. You're able to say, God bless me so I can bless you. Right? Earlier in the book of James, it talks about not just being satisfied with saying, be filled, but feeding folks. I'm going to put it this way. We have to pray with our feet. We can't just be satisfied with just saying, well, you know, I'm going to give you an encouraging word. How are we going to create and change systems? Maybe you don't have it personally, but is there someone in your church who can be a blessing to that person? And at some point, if you start to see enough people suffering from the same thing, your eyes are open to it, at what point does it now become a matter of systems? At what point does your desire to perform charity mature into a hunger for justice? At what point do you understand this is our work? This this is what it means to be a good steward. Not about dominating. Not about exploiting. But providing abundance to everyone we encounter. That's my hope for you today. That's my prayer for you. I wanna pray for you right now. God, I thank you for equipping us, for giving us all that we need. May the abundance that you've given us spill into our everyday encounters. May we be a blessing. May we uplift our neighbors. Disabuse us of a preference for those who seem to have and disregarding those who seem not to have. Open our eyes so we can see the ways in which those who are materially rich still need you. Open our eyes to see those who materially go without still have so much to give still have a reason to belong. Help us not to exclude. Help us not to exploit. Lord, may we be one as you are one. In your name we pray. Amen. Much love, y'all. God bless you. God keep you. Talk to you soon. Peace.